Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. This is great. That worship was outstanding. Thank you so much. Turn with me to Matthew 17. If you have a Bible, we're going to read a story. And then I want to ask you a question. Not an exam, no. Matthew 17, verse 1, says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's the story that we will come back to just now. But I want to ask you a question in the meantime, which is what do you want? What do you actually want? What do you really want? Do you want money? Go on, be honest. Anybody want money? Lots of it. Yeah, Graham's in for lots of it, that's good. Do you want a boyfriend straight girlfriend? This could be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, so let's hold the hands of the person next to you. <laughs> and if you want to go out with them, squeeze it. <laughs> no, I, won't. <laughs> but I won't do that. Do you want a husband? Do you want a wife? Do you want to travel? Yes, have some votes for traveling, yeah? Okay, that's good. Do you want a house? Yes, you want a house? Okay, that's good. Vote for that. Who wants a family? Yeah, you want a family? That's good. Who wants a career? An amazing career. This lot are very subdued over here. Not responding much here. I don't know what you want here at all. Do you want a ministry? Who would like ministry doors to be open? Would you like a purpose? Would you like success? That's kind of generic, isn't it? Who wants to be famous? Who's got their YouTube channel lined up and trying to build it up for Instagram or whatever it is? I was praying on Friday morning, third day of the fast, and I felt God asked me, what do you want? What do you really want, Richard? What do you actually want? Not what do you say you want that people think you ought to want. 
but what do you really want? And the question was asked of me in the context of praying for Hillside and praying for House of That Walls, which is the group of churches that we're part of. And I felt God say, what do you actually want for Hillside? What do you actually want for House of That Walls? We can go on having meetings week by week and new home groups and year after year and new courses and do some more training for Roger because he loves training. And, and we, we can do stuff. But what do you actually want for us? What do we want for the churches that we're part of? What do we want for them? And my kind of gut level response, and, and I think it was more than just what I ought to say, was, well, I suppose revival is the answer to that. We're part of a a movement, if that's the right word, where revival kind of defines the tone of things. At Bethel, the students there are called revivalists, and that's, that's their young revivalists. They're just going for this thing called revival. And, and kind of no sooner had I voiced, well, I, I suppose I want revival for Hillside and for House of That Walls, than I, f- I felt, and I don't know if it was God or me asked the question, but, but what does revival look like? And revival is one of those words which means a thousand different things. So what kind of revival do I want? Do I want a Brownsville revival? Now, Brownsville was where people queued up for like eight hours. They queued up from early morning to get into the evening meeting for months on end. That's, that's literally how the thing was. Do, do, is that what revival looks like, where people are queuing up around the building just to be able to get in here because what's happening, happening in here is so amazing. And that could be good for a while. It could get quite exhausting quite quickly. I remember when Danny Silk was here and we had a lot of people coming, after three nights I was kind of, okay, that's enough now. They, they could all go home, please. Just leave us alone, you know. Leave us to our space. So is, is that the revival I want more? Maybe, maybe not. Is it, does it look like people getting totally whacked in the Holy Spirit all the time? Is that what it looks like? Is it people crawling around on their hands and knees? Is it hardly being able to have a meeting without people falling over? Is it, is it running late every night because people are just, just totally, totally drunk with this thing? Well, again, that's good. And I love that, but maybe that's not what it's all about. And churches that have made that their focus and that their goal, it tends to become fairly mechanical fairly quickly, trying to generate this thing night after night after night. Does it look like amazing healings and miracles? That's good, but even healing becomes hard work after a while. And, and the first time you pray for someone's back and it's healed, it's amazing. The 50th time, it's just something you must do because you love them and you have compassion for them. Does it look like the gospel spreading like wildfire from one city to the next? Or maybe, but maybe South Africa today is not quite like uh, Asia Minor was in the days when Paul was taking the gospel around there. Does it look like huge gatherings, stadiums packed with people, 
thousands, tens of thousands of people getting saved, like Awaken Europe, stuff like that. Well, maybe it does, but maybe that also feels incredible the first couple of times, but becomes seriously hard work after a while. Does it look like governments enacting godly legislation? Well, again, it's, it's super exciting to hear of that happening, but, but it kind of, you've got to dig through the politics to see, to see the reality of the thing. And I, I, I looked through all these possible, and maybe you've got other ideas about what revival looks like to, to throw into the pot. And, and I felt like, yes, I want all of those things, but none of those things. And, and actually, what do I want? What do I want for Hillside? And, and, and what came to me was this, what I want, it, it is all those things, but what I'm really after is a manifestation of the glory of God. That's, that's actually it. It's, it's not about the numbers of people getting healed or the queues around the building or the, the, the falling over in the... It's not about that stuff, but it is about a manifestation of the glory of God. And that sounds quite pious. You know, we want to do this all for your glory, Lord. It sounds self denying and pious and religious and all the rest of it. But it's actually amazing. Because the manifestation of the glory of God is a totally amazing thing. That's the passage we read about here where Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain and he is transfigured before them and his face is shining and his clothes become white as light. And then this cloud of glory descends upon them and the voice comes saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And that is amazing. And I think that is what I want for Hillside. That is, that is what I want for House Without Walls. It's for our benefit. It is an amazing thing. I think every single one of us was created to behold his glory. That's what we were made for. And there's something of that space where we are, we are confronted with the manifestation of his glory that says, actually, this is it. In fact, Peter was so convinced that this was it that he wanted to build three cabins for them, three whatever it was. So let's, let's freeze, freeze frame this moment. This is it. There's, there's nothing better than this. Because that's what we were made for. And Jesus says, no, but we've got to go down the mountain because there's more to do yet. So Moses in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 33, he cries out to God and he says, God, will you show me your glory? He's desperate to see God's glory. And in, in that sense, all these aspects of revival that I spoke about are potentially manifestations of God's glory. But they don't define it. They don't contain it. It's not all of it. And I just want to know the presence of God's glory in this place. In the Old Testament, they saw glory from afar. They saw it way, way off there in the distance. Or else they saw it partially. When Moses asked to see God's glory, God said, well, I'm going to hide you in this rock and I'm going to cover you so that when 
I pass by. You don't get consumed because no man can see my face and live. And that's kind of what it was like in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was totally different. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, unveiled, not like Moses hidden in the rock, but with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. This is face to face. This is gazing straight into his face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So in, in, in the new covenant, we see his glory close up. That is what is offered to us, is a face-to-face uh, confrontation with his glory. But not only that, we are overwhelmed by his glory. We participate in his glory and his glory changes us. And the word change there is the exact same word. It's the word transfigures. Just as Jesus was transfigured, so for us to behold his glory is something which transfigures us. The glory comes upon us as well. His glory seeps out and embraces us and covers us. That's why when you see these old masters' paintings of the saints and whoever else, they have this halo. Why do they have a halo, a glow around their head? Because they have seen the manifestation of the glory of God. And they are radiant with it. They are, they are radioactive. There is something radiating back out of them because they have seen his glory. You can never be the same after seeing his glory. You have been transfigured and will be transfigured. You can never unsee what you've seen. Ask Zane to find a song about the manifestation of God's glory. He did really well there, Zane, because it's had half my sermon in it. So if you just read Zane's song, you don't really need me here. But it had that line in it, you can't, the glory, I've seen the glory that cannot be unseen. Once you've seen this thing, it spoils you. It's spoilt for this world. And that, in a sense, is why salvation, you can't lose your salvation simply because you can't unsee what you've seen. And to see his glory is something of the essence of our salvation. That's what it's all about. If you, if you drop down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, Verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful encapsulation of what salvation's about. He's shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the most beautiful phrase. So we are those who have received that revelation. Can never be the same again. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. We belong there. And that's not saying, it's not about an afterlife. It's not about, well, it's something we'll receive when we die. Our citizenship is in the heavenly realm. We are people who are spoilt for this world because of what we've seen. 
and we long for a world which is coming. It's like being a South African living in London who's never quite reconciled to living in London. Any, anybody lived over there and come back? Anybody done that? Okay. So your heart, you're living there in, in this place. Where did you stay? In, in, in London. In Hammersmith. In Hammersmith. Here's a real sapper from Hammersmith. Okay. But, but our citizenship is in South Africa. You're there doing this thing, living this life, but actually something deep inside you says, I belong somewhere else. This isn't my home because I know what it is that I have seen. Spoiled for this world. It's the basis of the gospel. So here, Peter and John, Peter and James and John are taken up the mountain and they write about the experience afterwards. So Peter writes about it in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's endorsement of the gospel, the basis of his gospel is, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm telling you about Jesus. I came to you, I preached Jesus to you, not, not as a clever theological doctrine, but because of what I saw there on the mountain. It's interesting, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, Peter says we are witnesses to these things. He speaks of Jesus' resurrection. But here he doesn't tie the gospel to the resurrection of Jesus, but to the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. I've received a revelation of his glory. His glory has been made manifest to me. And that is why I had to come and preach. And the gospel we share with the world around us is not out of the pressure of duty of this is what we're supposed to do, but because there is a revelation, there is a manifestation of his glory. This is lodged inside of us and stays there and rests there. So Peter wrote about it. John also wrote about it. John chapter 1. That was a beautiful rendition of John's beginning of John's gospel there, isn't it? It's amazing. You have out-messaged the message and out-passioned the passion translation. That was actually incredible. But John writes about it in John chapter 1. He says, and we beheld his glory. What do you think he's referring to? The Mount of Transfiguration. Glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What I'm talking to you about tonight is not reserved for special people. This is not for occasional people who write books about the experience. It's actually 
our birthright for every single one of us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, for we all with unveiled face beholding his glory are being transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Every single one of us, it is our birthright to be rendered useless for this world by the sheer majestic nature of the revelation of himself, of his glory that he wants to bring to you. I want to, I want to stir up a hungriness tonight. I want to stir up such a desire, say, I want to be in that place. I want to see your glory manifest in this place. Every single one of us. It's not an experience to be put in a bottle, but it's something we carry in our spirits. It's something we call to mind, something we remember. On Friday evening, I asked people who could just share a brief story of the manifestation of God's glory that they remembered. And people brought, some were old stories, some were newer stories, but, but that was the moment. And it, it, it wasn't necessarily for them that it was something that anyone else would have seen as dramatic. But for them, this was the moment when everything changed. So in John chapter 2, we have the story of Jesus changing the water into wine. And, and John concludes the story with this, this little comment. It says that this was Jesus' uh, first sign. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. So in Cana, Jesus didn't glow white and whatever else, but for those who had eyes to see, this was the moment that when their world changed because they realized this is no ordinary man. Peter saw a manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus when he was in the boat and Jesus told him to cast the net on the other side and he pulls out this huge haul of fish and he is so astounded, it says he fell on his face and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. What just happened? He just had a revelation of the glory of God and it was altogether too much for him. I was in a meeting many, many years ago in, in London, Westminster Central Hall, and I heard 2,000 people singing in the spirit together in this most amazing angelic chorus. And for me, it was a moment of manifestation of the glory of God. And for an instant, that place was transfigured. For an instant, those were no longer people singing. This was a heavenly army that was singing. And then I looked again and it was just normal. But it was like I could never be the same again. Something, something had clicked inside. And I could never unsee what I'd seen in that place. Here's something quite amazing too. that The, the revelation of his glory is also what joins us together. John 17 Verse 22. 
Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. Prays for his disciples. And in verse 22, he says this amazing little word. He says, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Graham, what do I have to do with you? What do we have in common? Do we like each other? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Do we have the same interests? Maybe one or two, but not. Do we have a common background? Not really, no. Do we have families the same age? No, not at all. Um, do we believe all the same things? Probably not, actually. We haven't had that conversation, but we might not. But here's the deal. Here's, here's what ties my heart to your heart, that we have both seen his glory. And whatever else happens in this space, that common revelation overrides everything else. And, and relationships can be really hard. Relationships can be difficult. But if at the end of the day you have both seen his glory, then there's nothing that cannot be overcome. There's nothing that's too big. There's nothing that's too much of a problem. There's nothing that should separate. But he's given us his glory that we might be one. That is so amazing. That's so delightful. It's the heart of going to the nations. Isaiah 66, 19 says, they shall declare my glory to the nations. It's, it's what we go to do. We don't go to the nations to teach them how to do church better. We don't go to the nations to help them run crusades. We don't go to the nations to instruct them in correct doctrine. We go to the nations to declare the glory of of God to them. And the only glory of God that we can declare to them is the glory of God that we have seen. I have to come and impart this to you. And God's ultimate purpose says in Habakkuk is that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is there any part of the sea is not, that is not wet? It's wet pretty well everywhere. So the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in every part. His glory manifests everywhere forever. Isaiah chapter 40 says, and the glory, and I want to sing it. I've, I've got Handel, Handel's Messiah going through. Who knows Handel's Messiah? And the glory, the glory of the Lord shall be. I should be in the band, shouldn't I? Yeah. Watch which verse is this. This is verse 5 of Isaiah 40. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
That's, that's what the end of all of this looks like, is the whole world, every man, woman, and child beholding his glory manifest from the east to the west and the north to the south, all seeing it together and all finding their absolute fulfillment of what they were ever created for to be caught up in that space, to be a recipient of his glory but to be a reflector and a giver and a bearer of his glory to the rest of creation. So what do you want? That's a good thing to want. Can I pray for us? Can I pray for us that, that, that we hunger and thirst, that we look for it, that we hunt for it, that we do whatever is necessary. Father God, we want to take a hold of our inheritance tonight of being those who with unveiled face behold your glory. This is your gift to us. This is our inheritance. And Father, there is nothing else that can satisfy. There's nothing else that can substitute for that. But we are a hungry people tonight. And we pray by whatever means, whether through healings or, or wild Holy Spirit meetings or, or mass salvations or whatever it is, Lord, would you leash, unleash your glory in this place? Would you unleash it upon us? Would you unleash it upon the churches of South Africa? Lord, not something that is, is half-baked and, and human-manufactured, but God is in our midst. Lord, would you shake the foundations of this place? Would you cause us to fall on our face? Would you cause us to be awestruck before you? I pray for each one of us as individuals that you will teach us what it means to treasure and to savor the revelation of your glory in our lives, to nurture that, to treasure it, to, to, to feed upon it, to allow it to grow within us. Would you remind us even now of the times that we've been confronted by your glory? Would you do that? And would you cause us to become hungry for more and more and more of that glory. And would you cause your glory to be declared to the nations out of this place? We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that this is your plan and your desire more than we could ever know. And we give you permission to disrupt us. We give you permission to release this in our midst in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.